in January 2020, way back in January 2020, it seems so long ago, doesn't it? Way back in January 2020, that was this year, by the way, Forbes magazine reported that the average time it takes to binge watch a series on Netflix is five days. Five days to watch a show from beginning to end. That's the average. But even though it takes five days to binge watch a show on Netflix, there are still 8.4 million Netflix users out there who attempt to binge watch a series in a mere 24 hours. The whole thing in 24 hours. And if you're wondering, the most binge watched show on Netflix is Stranger Things. If you binge watch this uh, retro 80s sci-fi show in one sitting, you're going to need to plan for 21 hours and 49 minutes in order to watch all three seasons, 25 episodes. And if you do binge Stranger Things in one sitting, let me warn you, you may end up looking like the Demogorgon when you're done, for those of you who have seen it. If you're not into sci-fi, maybe you're into comedy. If you want to binge watch the ever-popular NBC sitcom The Office, which is going off Netflix at the end of this year, by the way, so you better get on it. If you want to watch The Office, it will take you four days and three hours to do it. I don't recommend that you do that. But if you do, watch, binge watch a show for days on end, you actually might find Netflix reaching out to you to see if you're okay. Because that happened with one guy. One Netflix user binge watched The Office for almost a week during a bout of depression, and Netflix emailed him to see if he was okay. Here's what the unidentified man said. One summer I was going through an episode of depression, And I wasn't working as I was on break from college and waiting until I moved back to my college town to start again. I ended up doing nothing but watching Netflix. And after I finished The Office in something like five to ten days, I don't quite remember, I received an email from Netflix asking if I was okay. Netflix had noticed that this guy's account was running nonstop for over a week and they reached out to him. He said this, Honestly, it made me feel better just knowing that someone, even a stranger working at a customer support agency, cared about my mental health. So kudos to Netflix. There's another Netflix binge-watching story I want to share with you. Netflix realized that, you know those like cheesy, romantic, Hallmark Christmas movies? If you love those, plug your ears, okay? Those cheesy, romantic Hallmark Christmas movies, there was one that was being played on Netflix a lot, and so Netflix tweeted this out about the 53 people who had been watching this cheesy Hallmark Christmas movie over and over. Here's what Netflix said. To the 53 people who've watched A Christmas Prince every day for the past 18 days, who hurt you? Well, if that's your favorite movie, if A Christmas Prince is your favorite movie, sorry. So obviously there's something innate in human nature that allows us 
to watch and rewatch shows and movies over and over and over again. I mean, how many of you parents have seen Frozen more than 1,000 times? I'm kind of glad that binge watching is a thing now. And I hope you get comfortable binge watching because that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. We'll be gazing at the beauty of the Lord. We, we will be beholding His glory, binge-watching His glory. And as John Owen, I'm not quoting here, but I was rereading The Glory of Christ this week by John Owen. I recommend it to you. Uh, there's an abridged version that's much easier to read. Basically, Owen was saying, if we're going to be doing this for eternity, why not get a jump start on it now? For all of eternity, we are going to be binge-watching Jesus, beholding His glory episode after episode, beholding His beauty, beholding His splendor. But the good news is that we don't have to wait until then to get started. We can do that now. And so for the rest of this crazy year, this is what I want us to do as a church family. Let's binge-watch Jesus, y'all. As a church family, let's, beginning today, really just hunker down and refocus our gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And if we do, we will be transformed. That's what Paul is talking about in our passage today. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. We're continuing our series, Neon Gospel, where we will see that beholding the glory of God is actually what changes us. In fact, whatever we gaze at, whatever we behold, changes us into its image. So understand this, Grace. What you look at, you will look like. What you behold, you will become. What we meditate on will mold us into its image. Whatever consumes our time, the election, politics, whatever consumes our time, consumes our thoughts, consumes our energy, will inevitably transform us into its image. Whatever it is, Netflix, Facebook, Fox News, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you fill in the blank. What we look at constantly will conform us to its image. What we behold, we will become. We are always becoming like what we most adore. So let that sink in. We are always becoming like what we most adore. Did you know that's why the Lord called the nation of Israel stiff-necked? We saw that last week in Exodus 33, verse 3, after they made and worshipped the golden calf. The Hebrew phrase there, stiff-necked, comes from the agricultural world, the rebellious resistance of the ox and the bull and the cow to the yoke that is placed upon it. And so when Aaron made the golden calf to worship Israel became just like that golden cow. They became stubborn and stiff-necked. They became like 
what they worshipped. So the golden calf incident at Mount Sinai reminds us that idols are empty and they're mindless and they are lifeless. They have no life. And when we go chasing after other gods, other idols, trinkets and things that sparkle and shine, and we seek those things to satisfy us, we will then become like those things, empty and mindless and lifeless. There'll just be no life in our spirits and in our hearts. But when we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, we will be transformed into his likeness. And that's exactly Paul's point in our passage today. Paul will remind the Corinthian church that the glory of the new covenant is that we can binge watch the glorious gospel over and over and over again. We can be on the receiving end of repeated exposures to the glory of God and not be destroyed, but be transformed as we do. And don't you want to be transformed? I mean, aren't you tired of you? Tired of being the way that you are? Tired of your sin? Tired of being trapped in the shackle of lust? Tired of being stuck in the quicksand of anger and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness? Tired of the debilitating nature of fear and anxiety and worry? Are you tired of the sin that so easily besets you? I know I am. It's only as we rehearse the gospel and gaze at the glory of God that we will be changed. So what you and I need more than anything in the world is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to behold His glory in the gospel. What we desperately need more than anything at this point in 2020 is to binge watch Jesus. So let's do that now. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So Paul says, we're not like Moses. We have hope now. We are bold. We can share and reflect the glory of the Lord and we don't have to wear a mask. We don't have to put a veil over our face. We can stare at the glory of the Lord and we can reflect it to one another and to our neighbors and to our co-workers and to our family members and to our city and to the Central Coast. We don't have to hide it under a mask, under a veil like Moses. And the reason Paul says that Moses veiled his face was so that the Israelites would not see that the glory at Mount Sinai was gradually fading away signifying the temporary nature of the old covenant. But in the new covenant, we can take deep, repeated gulps of the Spirit, and we don't have to fear approaching God. This is our hope, Paul says. We can take deep, repeated gulps of the Holy Spirit because we are in union with Christ now. And because we are in union with Christ, we have hope and we're no longer commanded to keep our distance 
in fear and in trembling like what happened at Mount Sinai, remember? They had to build a fence around Sinai so no one would be dumb enough to try to go up Mount Sinai and see Yahweh. We can approach God now boldly and openly and transparently and confidently and honestly because of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that the sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing to and anticipating. But some people can't seem to connect those dots. And that's what Paul says next. Look at verse 14. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The nation of Israel's minds, which were hardened in Moses' day, remains hardened to this day. That's why Paul says the same veil remains unlifted whenever Moses, whenever the Old Testament is read today. So Paul now uses the imagery of Moses' veil here as a symbol for the people's blind and hardened hearts. That's what keeps Israel from recognizing that the Old Testament itself points to Jesus as the Messiah. There's a veil over their hearts that only the Holy Spirit can remove through regeneration when he makes them alive again. Only the Holy Spirit can remove the veil so that someone can gaze at the glory of the Lord. And that's what the Spirit does in regeneration. Look at verse 17. Paul talks about that. He says, Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So while Israel could not even look at the face of Moses because it was just beaming and radiating with the blinding glory of God, as Christians united to Christ now, we can behold the glory of God with unveiled face. No mask, no social distancing, no no Yahweh saying, I'm going to be out in a tent outside a camp and only Moses can come in. We now have unlimited access to the very presence of God. We have unashamed boldness to enjoy our free and limitless access to God. That's amazing. And it's as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ that we are transformed by the Spirit. Do you remember what Moses asked the Lord on Sinai? We looked at that last week. He said, show me your glory. And God said, you can't see my face and live. Did you think you could? And in the law, in the old covenant, you could not see the face of God and live. But still, God answered Moses' prayer. Moses prayed, show me your glory. And here's how that request was answered by Yahweh. Show me your glory, Moses said, and Yahweh said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. 
and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Show me your glory. I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. Grace, mercy. Then when the Lord passed by Moses, God said this about himself to Moses. He said, Yahweh is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And this is right after the golden calf incident. Show me your glory. I'm merciful, I'm kind, I'm gracious to sinners. So when Moses asked to see Yahweh's glory, God declared, not wrath, not judgment, but mercy and grace and steadfast love. That is his glory. God's love is his glory. Michael Reeves says this, When we see that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, it becomes impossible to think that God's glory is something that is not about love. Through Jesus, the Father shows us his innermost being in the form of a servant, dying to give us life. And it is as Jesus comes to us from heaven, making himself nothing, that he displays his glory. Astonishingly, the moment when Jesus finally reaches the deepest point of his humiliation at the cross is the moment when he is glorified and most clearly seen for who he is. On the cross, we see the glorification of the glory of God, the deepest revelation of the very heart of God, and it is all about laying down his own life to give life. The glory of God is seen in the person of Jesus. And it's seen most clearly at the cross where Jesus died for sinners like us. That's glory. And that's where you are reminded, Christian, that you are forgiven. See, in the law, in the old covenant, you could not see the face of God and live. In the law, they saw the sacrifices that were pointing toward Jesus. But now, in the new covenant, we see the actual face of God by faith. And one day we will by sight. We see the cross, the fulfillment, the reality of all of those sacrifices. And so now, by faith, we can gaze on the face of God as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, which we'll look at next week. But now, we gaze upon the, the beauty of the Lord. We behold the glory of the Lord by faith. But one day, one day we're going to do it by sight. And we will not be obliterated. We will be able to see the glory of God. And we will live. But what is the glory of God? That we behold. What does the glory of God even mean? I mean, we say that, right? We do this for God's glory. What does that mean? We should know that, right, as Christians? What does it mean that God is glorious? The, the Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod in the Old Testament. It means weight. It means heaviness or importance or weightiness. You've heard me tell you this before. It's like the hippies used to say in the 1960s and in the 1970s, what would they say? Whoa, man, that's heavy. Somebody would say something profound and they would say, 
that's heavy. That's the idea behind God's glory. It's this heaviness, this weightiness. It's like that, that Beatles song, I Want You, She's So Heavy. Do you know that song? You should know that song. It's one of my favorites by the Beatles. John Lennon wrote that song for Yoko Ono. He wasn't saying that she was overweight when he said, you're so heavy, okay? She's so heavy because John Lennon was smarter than that. John Lennon was telling Yoko that she was deep, important to him, meaningful. That's what the Hebrew word kavod, glory, means. It's heaviness, weightiness, importance, and that's what we behold when we behold God's glory. And so God does everything for his glory, and we should do everything for God's glory, everything for his weightiness, so that people would see it and say, whoa, man. So that they would see it and say, whoa, man, that's heavy. God loves and forgives sinners. Whoa, how do I get in on this? As Ray Ortland says, The glory of the Lord, therefore, is God himself becoming visible. God bringing his presence down to us. God displaying his beauty before us. The true answer to our deepest longings. And he promises to do this for us. It is the central promise of the gospel. Our part is to have the courage to welcome him with a bold restructuring of our lives. Nothing could be greater for us than to be wonderfully disrupted by the power of this hope. He's worth the upheaval. Our God doesn't work at arm's length or only through church programs or just by handing down decrees from on high. He comes. He brings his presence. And his presence is our joy. So if God's glory is the answer to our deepest longings, then we should be praying like Moses. Show us your glory. Jesus, show us your glory. We should be praying, Lord, let your glory come down. Come and satisfy our deepest longings. Restructure our lives. Disrupt our little kingdoms of self with your glorious kingdom. You're worth the upheaval, Jesus. And so when we pray, show us your glory, We're praying that we would be a church where people feel the weightiness of God here, where people discover God for the first time or maybe rediscover him, where they encounter the Jesus of the Bible, the real Jesus, not the Jesus they think he is, but the real Jesus. We want people to come to grace and leave here and say, God is there. I felt him. I felt his presence, I felt his love, I felt his power, I felt his glory. We want to be a church where the wonderfully heavy felt presence of God is the norm. We want people to feel and to really sense that God is beautiful and satisfying and to do whatever it takes to enjoy him more and more. And the only way that that will happen As if we slow down our lives enough to stare at the glory of the Lord. And so let's binge watch Jesus, y'all. Let's stare at the glory of God and squint if we have to until we see it. 
Let's stare by faith at the light and radiance of God as seen in the face of Christ. Listen, staring at the face of Christ, gazing at the beauty of the Lord, this is what will drive away the darkness of shame, the darkness of guilt, the darkness of fear, the darkness of worry, the darkness of bitterness. It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Christ that drives away the darkness of guilt, shame, despair, doubt, fear, worry, anger, bitterness. Let me ask you, do you feel weighed down by guilt today? Weighed down by shame? Shackled in the chains of lust Stuck in the quicksand of bitterness and anger and resentment. Are you spiritually anorexic from anxiety and worry and fear? Look to Jesus. Gaze upon his glory and be set free. Is there anyone here free to admit this morning that right now you are under the weight of guilt and shame and condemnation. Anyone free enough to admit that? Does anyone here today need someone to just hold their hand and look them in the eyes and say, you are forgiven? Anyone crazy enough to come down here to the front? I'll meet you right down here right now. If anyone is just feeling the weight of shame and guilt and condemnation for something you said in the past, something you did in the past, and you just can't seem to break free, and you need an outside voice to tell you you are forgiven, if you start making your way, I'll meet you right down here, and I'll just hold your hands and tell you that you're forgiven. Anybody? If you make the move, I'll make the move. Okay, well, you know what? Find me after the service, and I'll do it, because that's what church is about. Church should be telling our brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't feel forgiven. I can't shake the shame and the guilt and the fear. And having an outside voice speak to your heart and say, you are forgiven. The sin that you just can't seem to shake, that you just can't forget, Jesus cannot remember. You are free. And that's true for you, even if you don't want to come down here this morning. You coming down? Come on, Sam. You can line up if you want to. Anybody else is welcome to come down here. This is what the body of Christ is about. Sam, my brother, you are forgiven. The sin that you can't seem to forget, Jesus cannot remember. You're free. Walk in that freedom, brother. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Sometimes you just need somebody to look you in the eyes and do that. Cody, my brother. You are forgiven. The sin that you just can't seem to forget, Jesus cannot remember. You are free. Walk in that freedom. My brother. Yes, Peter. Sorry, I forgot your name. I, the whole time I was thinking, I'm going to forget someone's name. <laughs> Just telling you the fears that I struggle with. Peter, 
you are forgiven. The sin that you cannot seem to forget, Jesus cannot remember. You are free. Walk in that freedom. Anyone else? That's what the body of Christ should be like. That's what church should be like. That's way better than here's five points in a sermon so that you can be a better neighbor. Okay, let me tell you how to be a better neighbor. Just make your neighbor some cookies there, okay? What you need to hear is that you are forgiven and that you are free. So let's look at Jesus so that we'll look like him. Remember, what you look at, you will look like. What you behold, you will become. What you meditate on will mold you into its image. Whatever consumes our time, consumes our thoughts, consumes our energy, will inevitably transform us into its image. We're always becoming like what we most adore. So let's behold Jesus so that we'll be like him. Let's pray, show us your glory. And then our neighbors and coworkers just might get inquisitive. To quote Ray Ortland again, he said, Please show me your glory is our greatest prayer. It is asking the Lord to blow us away with his grace and mercy to the undeserving so that we worship him and live for him and obey him with joyous new boldness. And the watching world begins to think, my life has fallen apart and I need no one less than God to pick up the pieces. So that church is where I go, will go because God is obviously there. Let's be a church that just welcomes Jesus, welcomes his glory. Let's be the church in town. Not the cool church in town that everybody wants to go to. Let's be the church in town where people know that when their life is an absolute mess and is falling apart, they think, I have to get to Grace Baptist because Jesus is there. How about that? Let's keep praying that God would show us more of his glory here at Grace. Let's have the courage to welcome Jesus, to totally restructure our lives Let's pray that we would go deeper into his love, that his presence would become even more tangible here. And hasn't it been pretty tangible as of late? In the last three minutes, hasn't it been tangible? Even during COVID-19, we are seeing people set free. People are experiencing joy. People feel safe here. The felt presence of the Lord is here right now in spite of COVID. But we want more of that, don't we? We don't want to settle. It's okay to be greedy in this sense, okay? We want more of his glory showing up, changing us and satisfying us and setting us free, more of his presence because that's what our hearts were made for and which alone will satisfy our deepest longings. So we want God to come to church, right? I mean, we want God to be here every single week. Otherwise, why are we here? If Jesus doesn't show up, if there isn't a felt presence of God, then why are we here? I come for Jesus. I come to experience Jesus. I come to hear forgiveness, absolution. We come to church so that we can encounter the felt presence of God. So we want God to show up. And when Jesus comes to church, you know what happens when Jesus shows up? Lives are changed. 
People are set free. Sins are forgiven. Reconciliation happens. Egos are humbled. The gospel does its work. And we leave saying, what a savior. What a savior. And God gets glory big time as he shows off his mercy and kindness to sinners like us. I mean, who doesn't want more of that? Who doesn't want their kids growing up in church like that? Who doesn't want their kids seeing what just happened and say, that was the norm. That was the norm for me is that people always looking each other in the eye and saying, you're forgiven, brother. I want my kids to experience that. So we gather here each week to behold his glory. That's one of the ways that we can do it. And Sunday by Sunday, we do it in the, hearing the preaching of God's word and, and singing him. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper and as we observe baptisms and as we pray, And so the means of grace are the means of transformation. And then we can also behold God's glory day by day throughout the week as we read our Bibles and as we listen to sermons and podcasts and read good books. So take your Bible this week. Here's what I want you to do. Open it up anywhere you want to and just pray, show me your glory. And Jesus will answer that prayer. Based on 2 Corinthians 3, the Holy Spirit will answer that prayer. It's his favorite prayer to answer. Show me your glory. So keep reading your Bible. You're going to need it more in the coming weeks, months, and years than you may realize. Let me say that again. Keep reading your Bible because you are going to need it in the coming weeks and months and years. Maybe more than you even realize right now. So read your Bible this week and just say, Show me your glory. Pick any book of the Bible and just pray that. If you don't know where to start, start in Ephesians. Try that out. Just start in verse 1 and say, show me your glory. And then one verse at a time, get a notebook and just jot down what the Spirit shows you. And you'll find yourself being transformed as you do it. Just start with Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle. Wow. Paul is an apostle. He was breathing out murder. He hated the church. And he beheld the glory of God, that shining light on the Damascus road. God saved Paul. And then you keep on going to the saints at Corinth or at Ephesus. The saints, they're saints in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Oh my goodness, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You just go through there and pray, show me your glory one verse at a time and you just jot down everything that you see about God that is absolutely mind-blowing. And the good news of the gospel is not just that we're transformed from one degree of glory to another, but also that we are set free. Think about that. Free from condemnation and guilt and shame. As Paul says in verse 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom from fear. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame. Freedom, some of you need to hear this, freedom from trying to please people. That's what we want for this church. Freedom. Not anger and grumbling and mumbling and complaining or bitterness. Who wants that in a church? You know what? Like bitterness and complaining and all that. You know what? That's like liver and prune juice discipleship. That's all it is. Like eating liver and drinking prune juice. Who wants that when you come to church? Liver and prune juice Christianity where people 
just mumble and grumble all the time. We want peace here. We want laughter here. We want joy here, not complaining and gossiping and grumbling and factions. Steve Brown said, if there is no laughter, Jesus has gone somewhere else. If there is no joy and freedom, it is not a church. It is simply a crowd of melancholy people basking in a religious neurosis. If there's no celebration, there's no real worship. You ought to live your life with such freedom and joy that uptight Christians will doubt your salvation. I love that. Living our lives with such freedom that all these uptight Christians will be like, that guy's not saved. He's not saved. I've shared that with people, and it makes them uncomfortable. But it's the gospel. Now, Steve Brown is not saying that we take sin lightly or that we minimize sin or to be a jerk on purpose. I'm just going to offend my weaker brother because I'm free. He's not saying that at all. Steve Brown is just saying that for too long, Christians and churches have preached the gospel but haven't really walked in its freedom. That's what we want. And when you begin walking in the freedom of the gospel and in the freedom of the Holy Spirit, then it's true, uptight, self-righteous people will doubt that you were saved. They will doubt your salvation because you're so free. And all you'll be doing is walking in the freedom that the Spirit brings, the freedom of the gospel. Listen, normal Christianity is freedom. It's not what we've been told, is it? But normal Christianity is freedom. It's not rules. It's not chains. It's freedom. It's liberation. It's not having to wear masks around people, not COVID-19 masks, but the masks you know I'm talking about where we're not our real selves with other people. No masks, no pretense, not being fake, but as Paul says in Galatians 5.1, freedom. It is for freedom that you've been set free. Not rules, not bondage, freedom. I mean, when you look at Jesus in the Gospels, don't you get the sense that he is free and that he is enjoyable to be around? I mean, the only time you see Jesus not look like that is when he's dealing with self-righteous people, the Pharisees. And then you see him change his interactions with them. and He calls out their sin, but otherwise it's just what crowds constantly wanting to be around him. The normal Christian life is freedom. And somewhere along the way, we lost sight of this and we need to come back to the cross because that's the place of freedom. And when we gaze upon the cross by faith, we'll realize that we have nothing to hide. We will be free to confess our sin and, to, and we'll be free to admit that we're wrong. We don't like to do that, do we? We don't like to admit that we're wrong. I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. Free to confess our fears. Free to confess the shame that we feel. Free from the curse and condemnation of the law. But don't miss this. Something else here, because it's easy to miss it. Keep in mind the context here. Paul is talking about ministry in these verses. He's talking about church ministry. He calls it, we saw it last week, the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness back in verse 8. So he's talking about church ministry, church life. 
And where does Paul call people to look in the church? At him? Does he say, look at me? Talk about me? No. The super apostles who he's writing against made church ministry about them. They were ego-driven. Their ministry philosophy was, number one, you got to keep the rules. you got to obey the Mosaic law, and then you'll be saved. And then number two, they said, make a big deal out of us. Toot our horns. The super apostles needed and craved attention. They wanted glory. And where does Paul point the Corinthians? To the glory of God, to the heaviness, the weightiness of God, the importance of God, not the importance of himself. Speaking about this, Michael Reeves says, recognize the devilry of self-glory. Step aside. Let people see, point people to the glory of God. That's what church ministry is supposed to be about. Pointing people to the glory of God. Not getting it for ourselves. Remember in John 12, Jesus says that the Pharisees loved the glory of man more than the glory of God. And that's the super apostles here. God's made it easy for us, hasn't he? Just behold my son. He says, look to my son and live. Look to my son and rest. Look to my son and be changed. Look to my son and be free. Oh, Grace, who doesn't want more freedom in their life? Who doesn't want more freedom? Freedom from fear, fearing what other people think about you. Who doesn't want freedom from that? Freedom from anxiety, freedom from bitterness and unforgiveness. It just eats away at you. Freedom from people-pleasing, This is what the Holy Spirit promises to do for you when you gaze upon Jesus by faith. So let me ask you this morning, what darkness in your life do you need to see driven away by the light of God's glory? Identify it and then pray, show me your glory, Lord. Where are you condemning yourself? Where are you absorbing contempt from others? Where are you listening to the lies of the devil? identify that, and then turn your gaze upon the face of God in Christ, and then walk in freedom, true gospel-centered freedom. I'm talking about unfettered freedom that causes you to laugh more. You can laugh at yourself when you mess up. And you can dance more, and forgive more, and rejoice more, and love your neighbors more. All of that can be yours, all of that can be mine, and I want more of that in my life. All of that can be yours when you simply look at Jesus and you behold his glory. So what are we going to do as a church family for the rest of this crazy year? Let's binge watch Jesus, y'all. Let's binge watch Jesus so that we walk in freedom. Who wants to walk in freedom? Who wants to live a relaxed life of rest and not always being so uptight, not always being having this obsessive, neurotic, morbid introspection saying, am I doing enough? Am I being a good enough mother, a good enough parent, a good enough dad? Who wants to be free from worrying about what other people think of them? Who wants to walk into work tomorrow and be like, I don't care what any of you people think about me because Jesus loves me. Now, you still do a good job. You don't want to be a jerk, but you're free from that weight. It's just gnawing away at you. Who wants to be free from people-pleasing? 
you do, then binge watch Jesus and the Spirit will set you free time and time again. Who wants to laugh more? Who wants to dance? Then binge watch Jesus and watch what the gospel does. It brings freedom. You have to keep doing it, which is why Paul says one degree of glory to another because we do it and then we revert and then we do it and then we revert. So it's one degree of glory after another. But when we do it, it brings freedom and it frees us to rest and to relax and not be so uptight and to dance and to smile and to laugh and to enjoy life and then to really enjoy God. And when we do that, the watching world, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, they just might think, you know, those Christians may be on to something. Let's pray. Jesus, who is going to love us as you do? Who is going to forgive us as you do? Who is going to accept us and welcome us the way that you accept and welcome us? No one will do that like you do. Please help us to walk in your freedom, to laugh and dance and rejoice and rest more. Help us to enjoy you. In your name we pray, amen.